And I'm thinking about Shreveport and Bossier, where I grew up after my dad retired from the Army. And um, he came home from Vietnam, and well, we didn't have a whole lot of money to start with, but he had to kind of figure out what he was going to do with himself, and he went into the construction business. He was in the Corps of Engineers in the Army, so it seemed like a logical move. I was the oldest three boys, and I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, even though I worked hard all summer doing mowing and all sorts of things to make money, uh, I wanted to eventually buy a car because I knew if I got one, I'd probably have to buy it myself. So I went down to the, the school office, Bossier High School, and I asked them if they knew of any jobs in the area. They did. And uh, they gave me a slip of paper, and uh, I was supposed to go interview at this place. And, and here's a picture of the place. Butler Shoes. Now, some of you are already laughing. I hadn't even started talking yet. Um, back in those days, uh, shoe stores looked like this, and they had all the shoes out front. I mean, they had very little mer merchandise, actually, on display inside the store. But she would go by and look in the windows. This is a ladies' shoe store. And um, I was 16 years old, um, and I was about to work in a ladies' shoe store. So... Uh, they, you go by and you see the shoes you want and then you see a number below them and then you come in the store and you tell the clerk what, what you're looking for, number 5283, and uh, then they're supposed to bring those shoes out and you try them on. And this is what the inside of the store looks like. You see how fancy and upscale it was. Well, the point is that you could get reasonably priced shoes. So I had a picture, but I lost it, of the back room. That's where all the shoes were on massive shelves in every direction. And so someone would call, come into the room, a, a customer, and I was, I was wearing a white shirt and a tie, obviously the only ones I had, and I would say to them, uh, welcome to Butler Shoes. How may I help you? What can I do for you? Uh, in, a, in so many words, I was saying, what, what do you want? I mean, you... You came in uh, the store, because you see the whole point is you saw the shoes, now you're actually in the store, and you, that's point of purchase. So I knew enough about it to know that. And what I did not know is that they would tell me six pairs of shoes they wanted to look at. And what I did not know is that the shoes came in multiple colors. So when I first started working there, they'd say I'd name out four different pairs of shoes and three different colors each. So I'd go in the back room and I would come out like this. And I couldn't even see where I was going. I had so many pairs of shoes. Later on, the manager told me, just bring out one pair at a time. And, uh, and if they want the colors, you can bring that color out later on. But I learned the hard way. I was trying to be of service. You know, I wanted to do what they wanted to do. But what I really learned is that after trying on a sea of shoes, they would stand up and say, well, I'm just really shopping today. Um, I'll probably come back later, which they didn't. And so I learned a really valuable lesson about asking somebody, what, what do you want? You know, what can I do for you? But that's what I really kind of want to talk about today is if God's the customer, what does he want? from us. Fred was not doing well. He was not feeling well at all. Fred 
got up to go to work and he just, just could barely make it. His wife obviously noticed and she said, what's the matter? He says, I really don't feel well. And she said, well, why don't you stay home today? Just stay home. No, no, I can't do that. I've got two important meetings this morning. I'm taking somebody to lunch. I have three big meetings this afternoon. And tonight I've got a meeting down at the church for the committee. So I'm, I'm slammed all day long. I, I, I can't not go to work. I don't think you should. You don't look too good. I don't feel very good either. So they had a doctor who lived next door. So, of course, she walks out in the other room so he can't hear it calls the next door doctor and describes what's going on. And the doctor said, well, send him over here. He won't go to his doctor. Send him over here. Well, I don't know if he'll come. Tell him I want to see him. All right. So she comes in and tells Fred that the doctor next door, well, he's not too happy about that, but it's a friend. So he does go over there. The moment the friend walks in, the doctor says, man, you look terrible. Great doc bedside manner, but they weren't at the bedside, so I guess he could get away with it. And Fred says, well, I just don't feel very well. And he begins to tick off the things he has to do that day. And the doctor says, I don't care. He said, you, you really need to stay home from work. I cannot stay home from work. I have to go to work. All right. Well, Fred is deteriorating by the moment, and he begins to feel very faint. Maybe his fever is spiking. He's faint. He's kind of lapses into kind of a coma. And when he does, he sees a stairway to heaven. I mean, it's, you could see into heaven from where he's at, stairs going up. And, and at the end of the stairways, he sees the throne of God. And God is sitting at the throne and, he, and he's got paperwork all over his desk, God does. And it's just papers are falling off on the floor. The angels are scurrying around. It's just crazy up there. And Fred's looking at this in his coma. And uh, the angels are concerned because Fred, God seems kind of like overwrought. And, and about that time, one of them walks up with a piece of paper and hands it to God, and God looks at it, and he just kind of like, oh, no, 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 no. And the angels are saying, is there anything we can do? I mean, we're here to serve you. We will help. Is there anything you can do? What's the matter? And God says, I just got to note that Fred is sick today. And I just don't know what I'm going to do. Fred, really? Does God really need you? I mean, the great God of all creation, does he need you? Fred's sick. Well, I think he does. I hope he does because that's what I came to talk about today. God needs us. He wants us. He wants us to do something for him. And it's found here in today in the, uh, the book of Micah. Last week we talked about Habakkuk, one of the also so-called minor prophets. I don't know if I was a prophet that was called a minor. I would like that very much. Do you? Like, well, he's just a minor prophet. I mean, if you're a prophet, that's pretty good. Well, he's a minor prophet, Micah. And here he finds himself 700 years before the New Testament starts. Now, that would be about 600 years before the end of the Old Testament, about 600 years of intertestamental period. So this is just before the Old Testament shuts down, and some of these prophets are talking about the condition that they're in. So this is in Micah chapter 6. But really, leading up to chapter 6, Micah is kind of letting the Jews in Jerusalem have it. He's talking about the judgment. 
He's talking about uh, evildoers. He's talking about a lot of those kinds of things. And this is ironic because at this time, things were going well on the surface. Churches were packed, or temples. Uh, They were over budget. I don't know about your church, but not too many churches are over budget. So the noses and the nickels were doing great. I mean, really great. So by all standards that they were interested in, it was a good time to be a follower of God. But under the surface, there were some real, real issues. In Micah chapter 2, verse 2, it says, They covet fields and take them by violence. Who are they? We'll find out in a second. Also houses. They seize them. So they oppress a man and his house, a man and his inheritance. Well, the religious leaders had found ways to take advantage of the citizens and the people. They were conning them, really. Yes, the churches were filled. Yes, they were over the budget. But the way they were over, the reason they were over budget is because they took advantage of the people who lived there. They would con them out of their houses. They will con them out of their, their crops. I mean, they con them out of everything. And so the people themselves were not doing very well. They were, they were talking the talk, but they were not walking the walk, the religious leaders of the day. Offerings were being made, people were showing up, and things seemed to be going well on the surface. But God was not pleased, and he spoke through Micah. Chapter 3 of Micah, at the very beginning, Micah says, And I said, Hear now, O heads of Jacob, are you rulers of the house of Israel? He's setting them up. He's addressing the leaders in particular about the way they're going about what they're doing. And he is not liking it. If you skip down to verse 9 in chapter 3, because we're headed towards chapter 6, now hear this, it says. Some of you may have a Navy background. When the words now hear this is always, is always followed by something important. It means pay attention to this. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money." Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come to us. So they felt insulated, the religious rulers of that day. And here's what they were doing. It's very, very simple. They were blind guides. They were lost leaders. They were really conning the people. They were taking advantage of them for religious reasons. And look what they did. They they judged for a bribe. They had their hands out under the table. Yes, we'll find for you. We'll we'll decide for you, but we want something for it. And then it says, the priests teach for pay. Well, you know, a a laborer, a, 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 a servant of God is worthy of their pay. That's what the Bible says. Except that these people were only teaching for pay. They assumed the responsibility and the job because they knew they would get paid for it. And for, for them, it was never enough. They always wanted more. And then the prophets, of which Micah is one, and he's, he's being honest about even his own buddies, 
the prophets divine for money. Soothsayers, they turn themselves into soothsayers. Tell me something and I'll tickle your ears, but I want money for it. Give me some money and I'll tell you what you want to hear. So this is the state of what we would call the church in Jerusalem 700 years before Christ came. So Micah seeks to bring them back down to where they need to be. And by that, he talks about where they came from and what all they had to go through to get to this point in history 700 years before Jesus. And he doesn't pull any punches. He says, you've lost your way. You've lost your way, and you need to come back home and get right with God because he has something for you to do. They burdened down the people with impossible tithes to pay, really offerings, not tithes. He said, you give a tenth of your spices, and that's a tithe. He said, but in the matters of law and justice and mercy and faithfulness, you have failed. You're not acting like somebody in a position of leadership ought to act towards your congregation, your people. You have not practiced what God has told you to do. You are blind guides. Now, do you want a blind guide? If you want to know where to go, you want to know how to get there, that's what he actually calls them. So it comes down to chapter 6. This is where he delivers the answer to the, pres- to the question, what does God want from us? And I'm talking about us. What does God want from us? Let's face it, we can get easily distracted in the world. We, we know so much more than, than we used to about what's going on in the world. Just turn on any cable channel 24 hours a day, and, and you can see it live. We don't have to read the newspaper at night. I mean, how many people subscribe to a newspaper anymore? We have just incredible options for knowing what's going on in the world. And the truth is, it's pretty overwhelming to us. In fact, I'm thinking about uh, one of my very best friends uh, for over 50 years now, and he's here today. Cliff McCardle is sitting right over there. Cliff, you can stand up and wave if you will. Cliff is at the current time, and has been for years, the assistant to the president of Far East Broadcasting Company. For years, I served on the board of Far East Broadcasting Company. They broadcast the gospel in the eastern hemisphere of the world, starting from Singapore west, all the way even across Russia and Ukraine. Uh, 149 languages uh, teaching and preaching every day. So thankfully, we can know the news, but you can also know the truth if you live in Ukraine. And do they need it nowadays? One of their, two of their radio stations are off the air now. They were blown up and they're trying to repair and build another one. And uh, so you may want to go by and talk to Cliff afterwards. You might be able to help out. But the gospel is translated over there 24 hours a day, every day, in places that we will never go from Cambodia to Laos to Vietnam to you name it, they're doing it all the time. So thank God somebody got it and is getting it, but so many people are not. So we come to the question, Lord, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? Should we become more loving, 
How are we treating our neighbors? Where are we putting our faith? Are we just practicing empty rituals down here just to get through another week? Are we caring about people who can't care for themselves? Are we making the most of our community? Are we working with handicapped people and poor people and people who just don't have anything? Are we humbly walking with God? Are we listening to His voice so that we'll know what to do? In many ways, we are in a precarious position now, maybe more so than ever, yes, Churches are refilling. Offerings are being taken. The Lord knows we need that. But what about the real work of the ministry? What about you on a day-to-day basis making a difference in the world in which you live that goes beyond, beyond the church, really? Beyond the church. What about humility? What about humility? 700 years later, Jesus is really dealing with the same subject. He's, he's talking about the religious leaders of that time. And it's just a few pages over in Matthew chapter 23 where Jesus is really letting the religious leaders of that time have it because they're missed the boat too. They're not getting it. He says, you tie up heavy loads on men's shoulders and expect them to move with them and you don't even lift a finger to help them. Everything that you do, he says to these religious leaders, is you do it to be seen doing it. You're hypocrites, Pharisees, teachers of the law. You travel over the land to reach one convert, and then you come back with that convert, and you corrupt them. So the situation repeats itself at over again. This is Jesus talking. Blind guides. So this is not just a... Micah issue. This is not just a Jesus issue. It's, it's a today's issue. Because in some cases, I guess we could plead ignorance. We just don't know what to do. But if we do know what to do, we're not doing it. So before we leave here in just a few minutes, I, I want us to make sure that we know what to do. Because we're going to ask that question that I used to ask those ladies when they came in the store. What can I, what can I do for you? How may I help you? What can I do? Tell me what you want. We'll try to get it for you. So that's where Micah is right now. And here's what he says, beginning in verse 9 of chapter 6. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob. You're not following the Lord. Is not the Lord among us? No harm can come to us, they said. Oh, yes, it can. Verse Chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Hear now what the Lord says. I want to make sure that everyone hears that because it's so important because this is the Lord talking. Now hear what the Lord says. Arise, plead your case before the mountains, and let the hills hear your voice. Hear, O you mountains, the Lord's complaint, and you, strong foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a complaint against his people. And he will contend with Israel. Oh, my people, what have I done to you? And how have I wearied you? Testify against me. For I brought you from the land of Egypt. I redeemed you from the house of bondage. And I set before you Moses, Aaron, and Miriam. Oh, my people, remember now what Balak 
the king of Moab counseled, and what Balaam, the son of Beor, answered him, from Acacia Grove to Gilgal, that you may know the righteousness of the Lord. Just study the history of our faith, he says, and you'll know what had to happen for you to get to this point now where you're just acting fat and sassy, because you are. You're, you're fat with the riches that the church has brought in, and you're thumbing your nose at me. Verse 6, with what I shall come before you, the Lord, and bow myself before the high God, shall I come before him with burnt offerings? On their behalf, Micah is saying, so what would satisfy God? What does God want from us? With calves a year old, will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? 10,000 10, rivers of oil? Well, we are in Texas. Shall I give my firstborn for my transgressions? Well, he's ticking off some pretty important things here, right up to his firstborn child. Is this what you want from me? The firstborn child? The fruit of my body for the sin of the soul? Boy, that's, a, that's an incredible way to put it. The fruit of my body, my child, for the sins of my soul. Is that a worthy trade-off? Is that what God wants from us? Calves, oil, rams, a baby? He has shown you, O man, what is good. Back to the reality. Look. You're a follower of Jesus, you know, you know what's good. But just in case you've forgotten, I'm going to tell you, he says. And what does the Lord require of you? I don't know how any clearer to make it than that. What does the Lord require of you? What do you want from me? Here it is but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. That's what he requires of us. That's what he wants from us. All this other stuff up here, window dressing. Yes, there are false teachers, and yes, there are people who require more of you financially or any other way than God does, because God doesn't want your money. He has it already. He wants us, and he wants us to act in a certain way, to perform in a certain way, to do for him in a certain way, because if we represent him, this is how we ought to act. If this is who we are, whether we're in this building or not, this is what he wants us to do. Back to the shoes. You know, in Exodus, Moses is um, he's in the middle of nowhere, really, and a bush catches on fire, and it won't go out. It just won't go out. So that's pretty curious. He, he kind of ambles over to where the bush is because it's a burning bush, and an angel of the Lord speaks to him. And here's what he says. Before he even hears a word from God, take off your shoes, for you're on holy ground. This could be a holy ground moment for you, truly. Because if you're listening, 
God is talking, and here's what he says. Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly before the Lord. You're standing on holy ground. And this is a word from God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the chance to be together. This is a great time of fellowship, and it's one of your best gifts. So I pray a blessing on all who are part of this, the people who make this happen, whether it's playing the piano or working sound and video or the incredible kitchen staff, the volunteers who take up these tables and handle the crowd out in the, out in the foyer, take up the tickets. That, I mean, it's just a massive undertaking. So we're grateful for all of them. I pray a blessing on them. We're grateful for the folks that are together in this room. I pray a blessing on them. And as we take our leave now, I'm praying that you will shine the light on our path and show us the way to go. Show us how to live. You've told us. Now use us. Because we will truly be the Christian that someone else needs to see. Help us to be authentic authentic in our faith and to walk humbly with God, to live justly, to love in a powerful way. And then the kingdom truly will be increased and built and strengthened. And that's what we're here for. What do you want us to do for you? It's incredible to think that the great God of all creation would use us, and yet you do, Help us to be faithful in that journey until we meet again. We offer this prayer in the name of the one who's building us a better place, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.